Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Psalm 35, if you have your Bibles, please. One of the difficulties we have in reading scriptures when you come to places like this. You have a psalm that is unabashedly about destroying human beings. You have King David praying to Almighty God for God to turn his almighty power to the destruction of the enemies of God's people. And there's no spiritualizing this away. There's no just kind of whitewashing what's happening in this psalm. It's very explicit, it's very direct, and it's supposed to be given to you, to use by faith in this world for God's glory and the protection of God's beloved people. And so hopefully we have the faith to believe God's holy word and the goodness of even things like this. And in fact, I think this is part of why Christianity, particularly in America, is so weak. We lack any faith for the kind of manly courage of places like Psalm 35. Now, I don't think it'll be too hard to convince you of the goodness of this if maybe you consider a rapist or somebody who destroys unborn children. There'd be good applications for this psalm. And so hopefully we'll be helped by this, an area of our walk with God that we may not know what to do with or didn't know it was there, this will be helpful in expanding your Christianity of a place of growth. Now, one of the things not to do with this, we were driving home from selling fireworks on the 4th of July and coming back from Shawano, kind of took the back roads and ended up through Mole Lake right when they were having their fireworks show. And it was a good one. Uh, and one of the things I, can, I think of when I see fireworks like that is that now, those are meant to be a military display, but without the death and carnage. That's what they're for. They're to show off. And so I think of what would it be like if those were actually bombs or missiles coming at me? It'd be awful, wouldn't it? So don't read Psalm 35 like a fireworks show, that you're just a bystander observing. Read Psalm 35 like you're in a fight and there's an enemy. And this is a good weapon given to you by God in order to help you fight well. And so Psalm 35 then is a weapon for warfare given to us by God in order to fight well. And don't just think this is Old Testament. It is not just Old Testament. Be Watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, fight the good fight. That's the New Testament. So let me read. There's 
three parts of the psalm. He'll repeat himself basically three times, and each part concludes with a praise. So just pay attention to that. Whenever you hear a praise, think part one, and you see the second praise, part two, and then see the last praise, part three. Of David, contend or fight, O Lord, with those who contend or fight with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of the shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it yet. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother, as one who laments for his, laments for his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me, Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. Oh, Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause, for they do not speak peace. But against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. But you have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let that let not them rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnifies themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Let's pray. God, O you whose every promise is our delight, please draw near to us, especially those who are weary warriors. Refresh us again that we may rise to fight the good fight and never give up until the enemy is defeated for your glory. Amen. All right, one of the questions last week in the kids' bulletin was, how many times are we supposed to pray? How many times are you supposed to pray? 
One of the answers in the Bible is constantly, at all times. So this is one of the good benefits of God for us, isn't it? He never has to sleep. He never puts his phone on silent. He is never too tired to listen to you. He is constantly and always willing for you to speak to him about whatever you need to. And that's true even when we have enemies. So that's what Psalm 35 is. It's a prayer, a three-fold prayer, a supplication, a very serious begging God for help with fire in your guts. That's Psalm 35. You can feel it, can't you, when you read it? You can feel his pain, his fear. And he's turning to God for help. Rise up for my help. David had friends who turned out to be enemies. David loved these people. You saw that in verses 12, 13, and 14. When they were sick, David fasted. He prayed. He felt for them like he would for his brother, even for his mother. And yet when David was in trouble, they used it to their advantage in order to undermine and destroy. Isn't that something? This is very painful. And maybe that's one of the things we forget as we walk with Christ, that often, though we'll have lots of happiness and good times, And God will be very gracious and give us many seasons of refreshing and rest and comfort. That the Christian life is often sorrowful and has conflict. And David's in that. And the most sorrowful part of it is these are people that he's loved. These are people that he's shepherded who now are turning on him in his time of need. Now, These psalms are poetry. They're taking what is happening and writing it in a way that's actually very beautiful. There's some striking parts of this. Look at uh, at verse 5 and 6. David wants them to be driven like chaff before the wind, but then there's this picture of the angel as the wind driving them away, but that's not enough. That they're going to be driven away by the angel of the Lord, this angelic warrior of the Lord in a dark and slippery place with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. You can picture that, can't you? That's what good poetry, good music, good song does. It allows you to see what we're praying here. So it's very helpful. It's very personal. It's very tangible. So as I said, there's three parts of this. He repeats himself basically three times, and you have several verses of him stating his problem, him crying out to God, complaining to God, act, you see, do something, and then he concludes it with a praise. Three times. In one sense, that's just our Christian life, isn't it? This is your life, continually. You have a problem, you turn to God, and your problem, and your pain, and your complaining to God for his action, and God acts, and so you praise him. You have a problem of your own sin. You come under the conviction of God. You're disciplined by God. You lose the joy of your salvation, and you turn to God 
asking for his forgiveness, and he forgives, and you praise. You have a conflict with somebody that you love that's dear to you. Your relationship with this person isn't what it was, and you're sorrowful, and the pain is there, and you cry out to God for reconciliation, and he grants it, and you praise him. This is just our Christian life. In fact, this is our weekly pattern, isn't it? We spend six days doing the work that God has for us, whatever it is, the good work God has for you. Sometimes it's difficult, painful, and you ask God all week long for his help. And God gives it all week long, doesn't he? Gives you food to strengthen you. Gives you protection. Gives you wisdom. Provides solution to those problems that you didn't think could have a solution. And then on Sunday we gather in the great congregation like David prays to do what? To praise him for all of his faithfulness and provision throughout the week. And then this is our life in ultimate, isn't it? In this world, you have trouble, but take heart, I've conquered the world. What's the end of your life? It's victory. It's being welcomed by God and all of the saints and his angels into his glorious presence with pleasure that you won't even consider could be yours. And what will you do? Praise God, remembering a lifetime of provision and help and all the goodness of God, particularly that he would forgive your sins. So Psalm 35 is our life. But don't forget the praise part of it. Don't neglect giving him glory. What I want to do with this psalm, if you think of David here and what he's asking of God, this really takes some confidence in God's care. What I mean is David is asking of God no small thing. One of the doctrines of Christianity that no one else has is that every one of us is created in God's image. Everybody. At the time the sperm meets the egg, God is fashioning a human being with a body and soul being knitted together by his almighty hands, a being in his image that will be eternal. And being created in God's image with eternal souls will exist forever, either in pleasure in God's presence or in misery away from God's presence in hell. And so we count, Christians count life as more precious than anyone else in the universe. This is why wherever Christianity has taken root, life flourishes. Children left to die are adopted by us and We create ways and institutions to take care of those the world considers subhuman and without need of care. That's why Christians fight against sexual abuse of children or women because they're creating God's image. This is the foundation of us. So when David is calling on God to destroy to end the life, and, and not in a way that's easy, but in a way that's humiliating and shameful. Look at verse 8. Let destruction come upon him, and that's not enough. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. 
he, David is praying something that is fairly shocking, giving what David knows about God creating us in his image. What I'm saying is, David has great confidence that God is his father, that God is his God, and that God is an enemy of his enemies. In Psalm 103, we sing this all the time, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Well, Psalm 35 is one of those benefits of God's salvation to his children. He's our warrior. He's our defense. He's an enemy of our enemies. And so David is so convinced in God's saving care and all of God's benefits that he confidently calls on God in prayer to destroy his enemies, that God would rouse himself to vindicate him and lay low those who are opposing him bitterly. So what I want to do is, do you have that kind of confidence in God's care of you? Do you know that this kind of defense and protection and deliverance is ours, and that is is actually a benefit of a Christian. In Second Peter 1.3, we read that God, by his divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through his Son. And that, that word everything for life and godliness, that word everything includes Psalm 35. And God driving away our enemies by his angelic warriors in a dark and slippery place. That is part of his benefit. Can you be confident that God would do that for us and for his church? We love Psalm 23, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that mean? I shall not want. We don't really talk like that, do we? I shall not want. It means God will provide you everything you need. Another translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I'll lack nothing. If you go on in it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, enemies, I'll fear no evil. Why? His rod and his staff. God has weapons to beat the enemy about the head. In the gospel, what was Christ's death on the cross? We know it was the forgiveness of our sins. If you go back to the first promise of the death of God's son, it was a crushing of the serpent's head. It was a skull cracking of Satan. It was God destroying his enemy and our enemy. In Colossians, it says that he put him to open shame, which is quite a turn, isn't it? Because Jesus' shame on the cross was huge. It was so humiliating. Paraded around before the whole city, beaten, mocked, probably stripped naked, hung to die. Not just a terribly painful death, but a most kind of shameful death that you could have. And yet that death put God's enemies to open shame. Why? Because he rose. And so how do you get the kind of confidence that you could 
pray a prayer like Psalm 35? Or how do you get the kind of confidence that you should pray a prayer like Psalm 35? Again, our kind of Christianity is a kind that looks down on Psalm 35 as being sub-Christian. That isn't how real Christians think. Real Christians are too loving and too spiritual and too kind. One of the ways, one of my contexts for a song like this is pastors. The presbytery I'm a part of at our meeting in early June, one of the pastors there had just been run out of his church by people who said awful, awful things about him that were absolute lies. This guy is married. He's got, I think, five young children. And people that he shepherded, that he cared for, that he prayed for, went to incredible lengths to destroy him and his life and his ministry and not giving a rip at all for his wife and children what happened to them. That's what Psalm 35 is for. So how do you get confidence to pray this kind of prayer, that this is a benefit of God for you? Well, to answer that question, you have to begin with justification. You have to begin with, how do you know first that God is your Father, that God is your God? And if it's at all based in your estimation mainly or ultimately on your goodness or on your spirituality or on your sinlessness or on your perfection, you'll never have confidence that God is this kind of God for you. David can have confidence in God, not because David's such a good man, but because David is a freely forgiven man by God's grace through the promise of Jesus Christ. That's where you get this kind of confidence from. Remember, David wasn't what we would consider perfect by any means. He's full of sin. And this is the good news of a psalm like Psalm 35. David didn't get to pray this kind of prayer because he was like the upper crust of Christianity. He was a shining example of moral purity. He wasn't. But he was forgiven. He was accepted by God, not because of his goodness, but because of Christ. And so, kids, what does it mean to be justified? Do you know? How many of you yesterday, children, obeyed your parents perfectly? How'd you do yesterday? Anybody do it just at, like, you just look on your Saturday and went, I knocked that one out of the park. Now, what if your dad's protection of you from an enemy was based on how well you obeyed and respected your father. That to the degree that you always obeyed your dad right away and gladly, to the degree that you honored him, to the degree that you loved him, was the degree that he would protect you. And that if you did really bad one day, then you could have really no confidence at all that your dad would protect you a bit. In fact, if the enemy came in your house, your dad would say, He's in the bedroom under the bed. So what if it was based on your performance? Kids, how, how, how confident would you be of your father's protection? You wouldn't be, would you? Okay, wives, how about your husband's protection? You know you need your husband to protect you, right? You actually do. You depend on him to protect you. What if his protection of you was based on your respect of him? And how you submitted to him and obeyed him in the Lord. 
Would you have confidence that your husband has your back based on your respect and following his leadership and supporting him, encouraging him? Would you have much confidence, ladies? Probably not, right? So, kids, why can you expect your dad to protect you? Wives, why can you expect your husband to protect you? It's grace, isn't it? How much more God? Doesn't he only give us what we don't deserve? Doesn't he only pour out on you what you have not earned, but that he loves to freely give you because of his son? That's why David has confidence here, that he can pray a prayer like this and have some measure of confidence that God will answer. And so do you have such confidence in the Lord? based on the provision of God's protection and defeat of enemies because of Christ, because of his grace. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to grow in repentance and obedience and that part of your confidence in God will be based on your growing willingness to repent and to obey him. That is true. There is a real connection between your confidence in God and your willingness to follow him with all of your heart. That's true. But ultimately, it's based on Christ and his work for you. This is a benefit for his children, his defense, his protection, his deliverance, his defeat and destruction of enemies. And we live in a world now where we, it is not far-fetched that we're going to suffer for just following Jesus normally. It's also earned by experience. You remember the beginning of David's life? David had experienced God's provision of protection and deliverance from enemies. Remember when he was a little shepherd boy? God delivered him from lions and bears. So God knew that, or David knew that God could be trusted. David, early on, before, even though he's anointed king, had to flee, remember, from, da- or from Saul all over the place. And what did David see time and again? God's deliverance, God's protection, the defeat of his enemies that were God's enemies. David learned it. David was justified by faith, accepted by God's grace, and being such, he learned over his life to trust God. How about you? Do you have this confidence in God? Do you have faith to even admit that there are enemies of God's people who absolutely hate you, who despise your God, who despise you, despise what you hold dear, who despise those you love? Do you realize that? It's kind of funny. One of the things that's happening, let's say, in media or Hollywood, and this has been true for decades, that they actually hate you. And they make movies that show how much they hate you. And you go watch them and enjoy them. This is all over our world, isn't it? And so if you're going to have confidence that God will be your defense, you'll have to have it not because you're so good, because you deserve it, but because God has set his grace on you and sacrificed his son, and he promises as a benefit of his saving grace to defend you and to be an enemy to your enemies. That's it. That's it. This is a benefit, 
of the gospel. Now, one of the things you can be is such a stubborn child that you refuse the benefits. You know that? You ever have a kid in your household do that? That they're so out of sorts that they reject even the good thing you want to do for them. You ever have a kid throw such a fit? Maybe you're headed on a vacation or you're about to do something nice and the kid just throws a fit and they're in such a state of sin that they're, I don't even want that anymore. They're so angry. Or maybe they get to the point in their life where they're kind of like, they're not adult yet, but they're almost adult, but they're so immature in their adultedness that they no longer need the benefits that they once got when they were 10. They reject your parental benefits because they're so proud. Maybe you do this at work. You're too good to lower yourself to accept the benefit. This is one of those benefits that Christians are often tempted to despise. That God is an enemy to our enemies. Now it is true that we would hope that God's enemies become God's friends through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That is true. In fact, we probably want that more than their destruction. But there are enemies who are so hard and so wicked, and so vile, and so destructive to God's people that we ought to learn to pray something like Psalm 35 because it is a benefit of our gospel. That we need to hate what God hates. You know that's godly? To hate what God hates? Now, of course, the reality is that you'll never do this very well because you're sinful. In your righteousness, and and seeing it right, there'll be all kinds of bad motives in that. You'll just want it for your own comfort. You'll want it out of your overwhelming sense of vindictiveness and justice just for your selfish ends. That's true. That'll be there. Just confess that. But that doesn't remove the benefit of Psalm 35. Now, let me apply this specifically to the men. This is a man praying this. This is something that we were given on this earth to be here for. The protection of the innocent to get between those being harmed and the harmer. And so, men, you have a real important purpose here. Young men, this is what you're here for. Don't treat this lightly. Get ready for it, young men. For the protection of a woman, for the protection of children, for the protection of the church. And there are things that will harm your preparation for this. Do you know what will harm it? Porn will so soften you make you so impotent, so full of guilt and shame that you will not be useful in defending others from their own sin. Just giving yourself to screens constantly, not getting outside and playing and fighting and doing the things young boys and young men should do, not learning to work hard. Parents, your boys work hard. Let them be useful. And gals, one of the lies of feminism is that you don't need a man to protect you. It's an absolute lie. Are women more protected under feminism than under what we had before? Do you see women in this world as protected? Aren't they more vulnerable than ever? And so, gals, don't be so proud. Don't give in to the lies of this, that you don't need a man to protect you. Now, it doesn't mean a single woman is vulnerable. They have men, hopefully, particularly in the church, who will be 
that for them. Okay, let me close with this. David is in trouble here. He's experiencing what is probably the most painful thing that you could ever experience. It's not just enemies, but enemies that he thought were friends. Enemies that he himself has shepherded and bled for that now are his enemies. And these are the kind of enemies that are snakily working to destroy him while presenting to him a happy face. This is the worst. All right, so David's in pain. He's suffering. And in his suffering, in his trouble, in this severe trial, he's turning in Psalm 35 to God. You see that? It's obvious, right? He's turning to God. And so we learned that in Psalm 35, but one of the things that came to mind is that in your pain, in your suffering, in suffering rejection or betrayal or having enemies, you have to turn to something. You'll need some protection from somewhere, some solace, some comfort, some hope of deliverance, something to help you in your pain and fear. And it'll either be God or a substitute, something that you think is God, something that you think will provide the help and the deliverance and the catharsis and the release and the comfort and the help. You understand what I'm getting at? No one is content to be in pain, ever. No one is all right with pain, particularly this kind of, you have frenemies, you have People who smile to your face and then la- love it that when you trip. And you're not content in that. You will seek deliverance. You will seek release in your depression. This is depressing. Now, when I say depression, I don't mean like a diagnosis of clinical depression. I just mean the stuff of life that causes you to be down and sorrowful and struggle to get up for a couple days or a couple weeks and don't have the motivation and feel numb and alone and that's what David's in. Nobody's satisfied with that. They'll, they're, they're, you're looking for help. You're crying for help. You're going you're gonna to go get it. And it's either God or a false God. And so where are you turning for this kind of deliverance? No. Oh, One of the false gods, this is the tricky one. These are actually good gifts of God that become like God to you. These things in themselves can be our good gifts of God. They're to be received with thankfulness. But when you begin to depend on them, when you begin to look to them for the kind of comfort and help and joy and deliverance that only God can provide, they become a bad thing. It can be food, right? Comfort food. You just eat a bunch. People in pain gain weight. Do you know that? Now, the trick here is God's provision of a good meal is comfort. It is comforting. I mean, eating a cheese curd and a pile of them is comforting. It's totally true. But when that becomes your constant go-to, your pint of ice cream, your quart, 
And that's, that's your source. Binge watching shows. You just, you don't want to deal with the pain anymore. So you'll like detach from reality and watching something else. Maybe it's fishing, working out. Maybe it's a relationship with somebody else. They're your God. Now, again, relationships should be a comfort in your pain, right? But they can't be your God. Could be alcohol. Alcohol is a good gift. The Bible speaks of alcohol as bringing happiness and cheerfulness. But if you constantly need a drink or three or four at the end of the day, it's become a God. And so you have to take care that those good gifts of God don't begin to dominate your life and become God itself. Receive it with thanks, but in moderation. So that's one thing. The other, though, is just false gospels. Things that in this world seem like the gospel but aren't. You, let me give you an example. You all know the name Aaron Rodgers? Is that familiar to you? What's his God? He's obviously in, in, has been in real pain. What does he constantly turn to now as his God? What is he talking about all the time? Psychedelics. That's his God. He's found uh, himself comfort, uh, help, uh, transcendent feeling beyond himself. That's become rampant. Joe Rogan, Aaron Rodgers, some really big names pushing this. In fact, we just saw that the FDA now is beginning clinical research on mainstreaming these things, making them legal. Do you know that you cannot be a Christian and enter the kingdom of heaven and rely on psychedelics? Did you know that? They are not for a believer ever. Any other drug as well? Same thing with marijuana. It's a false gospel. It it will not deliver you into everlasting life, but into everlasting misery and ruin. What other false gospels might be like that? Of course, Jesus speaks of one over and over again. It's the narrow gate versus the wide door. It's a false gospel of dealing with your pain. Why? Because sometimes you'll experience, like David, pain for following Jesus. Because what you believe that Jesus has said causes people to hate you. And you have a choice right there, don't you? Will I stand firm on the truth? Or will I soften it in order to avoid the suffering? It's a false gospel. That if I just please people... If I just give in here, I won't give in on the big truths. I won't give in on the gospel. I will never compromise that Jesus died for my sins, but that women shouldn't be pastors in the church or that men really should lead the home or that women shouldn't be in combat or in the police force in the front lines. We can, we can fudge there. I, I, I won't compromise that God is triune and that Jesus died for our sins, but and this whole question of sexuality, and I think we just need to be kinder and gentler. And you know, my sister has a son now who's transitioning, and I just I don't want to cause family pain. So I, or at work, what if at the heart of David's struggle is some people within his own family thinking David is being too dogmatic, too rigid? He needs to be more loving and gracious, and not. So truthful and all the time. What, 
But if David's being called a homophobe or a woman hater, blah, 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 blah. The temptation is take the worldly approach. Just give an inch. There's many others. You have the health and wealth gospel, right? If you're just a good little boy or a good little girl, God will bless you with riches and prosperity. And if you just give this much to this person, God is just a vending machine. But do you know that God is your God? That He is your help? And that He promises the benefit of His gospel to always be near? And to never fall short of taking care of you in everything. Do you know that? That the Lord is your shepherd. He promises it. He promises the defeat all of your enemies who are his enemies. That it is the Lord who fights for us. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. What do we trust in? We trust in God. That's it. Why? Because Christ died for us. And we're his. And he promises it. You have confidence in that? Can you pray Psalm 35? It's our hope, brothers and sisters. It's your hope, guys, right? Is that your hope? Right, let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are who you are. Praise you that you're faithful to us. We praise you that you never change, that your promises never change. We praise you that your mercies are new every morning. We praise you that you are an enemy to our enemies. We praise you that you hate those who do us harm. And we ask you to rise up and protect us, especially in this culture. Protect my brothers and sisters in their workplaces from their enemies who hate you, who despise what you love, who despise the goodness that you've created this world with. Protect us, God. Rise up. Defend us. God, defend those in families who have family members who now hate you and hate the things of you and are causing great harm and pain. Rise up, O God. Defend your people. God, defend those being abused. Bring it in the light. And may we be the kind of church that will always defend the weak and the needy and those in help. And so, God, give us faith for this. Mostly give us confidence that you are this kind of God for us in everything. In all the little and all the big that we can turn to you constantly. Please protect us from turning to those things that we think will deliver us the ultimate hope and help and comfort, but will not. Teach us to rely on you. Give us faith for this. Please, God, help us in our unbelief. Please, God, in Jesus' name, amen.